0: Welcome to the second ever episode of our new pop-up talk show. We've already undergone a rebranding to uh, from passion economics to means of creation. We had a little bit of a trademark issue with the last name but I like this new one because it um, sort of harkens back to means of production except it's about platforms that democratize the ability to create but also means as a meaningful like get it anyways, in this show, we are going to be interviewing founders and operators who are building companies that help people to do what they love for a living. I'm your host, Lee Jen, along with Nathan Baschez. and we started this show because we really want to encourage innovation in the passion economy and help aid the world in becoming a place where people can unite their passions with their professions. And hopefully by shining a light on the innovators and thinkers in this space, we can help and inspire more founders and creators who are forging their own paths. So our guest today is Greg Eisenberg, who is a serial entrepreneur in the consumer tech world. Um, He was most recently the CEO and founder of Islands, which was a messaging app for college students that was acquired by WeWork in 2019. And he's been starting companies ever since he was 13 years old. And previously started a company called Five by, a video discovery service that was acquired by StumbleUpon. Earlier this year, he left WeWork to start Late Checkout, which is a product studio that designs, creates, and acquires internet communities. A quick plug that this show is brought to you by the Everything newsletter bundle, which you can find at everything.substack.com um, if you want to read some of my personal thoughts, I'm at lee.substack.com and I think Greg has recently started publishing at latecheckout.substack.com. And a quick note before we dive in on structure. So for the first 30 minutes, Nate and I will have a discussion with Greg and then for the rest of the time, we'll switch over to audience questions. So if you guys think of anything that comes to mind as we're talking, just pop it into the QA, and for the last half of the show, we'll go through those um, and ask Greg your questions. So, without further ado, let's jump in. Thank you so much, Greg, for being here today and coming on to our new talk show.
1: This is going to be fun, guys. I'm excited.
2: Yeah. Thank
1: you.
0: Thank you so much. Um, so, the first question that I wanted to kick things off with is you've been building in the consumer space for so long, from five by to stumble upon to islands. I'd love to get your sense of how has the consumer social landscape evolved since you started working in this space, I think maybe a decade ago, what have been some of the biggest changes that you've witnessed and where do you see the biggest opportunities still today?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a a really good question. I think, you know, the earlier decade in consumer social was really just about giving people micro microphones at, at the simple at the core. So you know allow people to talk so Facebook, uh, Twitter, all these broadcasting technologies that basically allowed people to speak and express themselves. And I think what's happened over the last few years is um, you know if you give everyone a microphone it gets pretty loud and it's gotten really, really loud. People are trying to speak over each other. it's really hard to hear. And I think that's why, you know, there's been this shift, um, I'd say, over the last four years from um, very much a a me, a me broadcasting to an us. Um, So what you're seeing is, you know, the rise of your Discord groups, the rise of your Fortnite worlds, the rise of your group chats, anything that's more group and community oriented. Um, I think that's what you're saying, um, and I think it's 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 a bit of an exodus, and it's a bit of like refuge. Like that's why it just so happens. Like it's just the most fun. You know, these places are the most fun part of the internet, and that's what the internet was designed initially to be. It was designed to be a fun place, and we sort of lost our way a bit. So I think that that's been the biggest shift.
0: Yeah, I want to dig into that idea of the shift from me to us from like me to we a little bit more. You've been talking a lot about communities recently. um, And specifically, you wrote this really interesting blog post um, called The Guide to Unbundling Reddit, which outlines the opportunities to unbundle really massive social platforms like Reddit and Facebook. Um, And specifically, there was a line in there um, that I want to probe into, which is you wrote, quote, the destiny of every massive social network or marketplace is unbundling. It's not a matter of if, but when. So, talk to us a little bit about this. Why do you think that is the destiny um, to, to be unbundled? Like Craigslist, you know, 25 years in, despite lacking any sort of product innovation, is still going quite strong. Um, and it looks like Facebook is as well, and Reddit is as well. So, um, talk about your thoughts on why. Why is the force towards unbundling?
1: Yeah, well, I think you know. Before we talk about the force from unbundling, I think it's important to talk about the force for bundling and why it's that's happened. You know, when you yeah, raise let's talk like, about that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> let's talk about it. You know, when you raise venture capital, your you know either implicitly or explicitly, your duty is to grow. You have to grow as quick as possible. You know, it's you know that's why you know, you can see a lot of these, um, I mean, Facebook started as a vertical network literally for social, you know, for college kids, a social network for college kids, and it's gone and sort of expanded from there. Um, so I think, you know, there's the big reason why it's, you know, people have been bundling is because of the, you know, the pressure to grow. And I think what's happened is we got to the uh, this point where Instagram's adding all these features; it's become very bloated. Facebook has added a lot of features; it's become very bloated. Um, and there, and this has happened in not just social networks but also marketplaces. You know, my belief is that a marketplace is just a a social network dressed up differently. It's very much this a similar kind of concept. Um, and. You know, recently we got to this point where it was like peak bundle, Um, and I think, you know, I was really convinced in this sort of unbundling concept of um, in places like Reddit, in places like LinkedIn, you know, in 2017, 2018, 2019. But when 2020 hit and COVID hit, and people literally couldn't be in physical places anymore, like the idea of community became even more important than ever. Um, you know, if you're pat if you're uh, if you go to church every day or you um play mahjong every day with your group of friends and you have all these places where you have community um and you can no longer literally be in those places or it just doesn't feel safe anymore. Um it's just an opportunity to uh to actually create these verticals. So um, you know, that's the reason why it's been bundling, that's the reason why it's unbundling. And the reason why I like to focus on Reddit um for 2020 and 2021 at least, um, is because I, I fundamentally believe that out of all the platforms that are um that could be unbundled, and there's a bunch, and I can name a few. I think it's LinkedIn, I think it's Zoom, I think it's McKinsey even, um, I think it's Vanguard, I think it's, um, you know, platforms like that. Um, Reddit is just one of the main leaders in um, kind of like where communities live. And it's a really easy way to basically find out um, the pulse of a community. So, you know, the reason I wrote that post was to inspire founders and to inspire makers to use Reddit and use platforms like that as a listening source and to see what's trending, to listen, um, and to come up with interesting ideas.
2: Totally. It seems like so far, a lot of the unbundling has happened more centered around features than like topics or vertical communities. So like Facebook led to like Instagram, which is sort of like unbundling the photo feature from Facebook or like messenger where they unbundled themselves. And then, you know, obviously like uh, WhatsApp, which kind of was an external competitor and they acquired unbundling, like chat functionality. Um, you know uh, I would say that like a lot of the Craigslist unbundling was like around sort of like, you know, maybe like dating became its own thing. Anyway, it's like less around like what, type of community and more around what type of functionality do you think that that'll change now and like with reddit it'll be more around the type of community and like what what caused the pattern to be what it was then with facebook and what might shift it to be sort of more community oriented now with reddit
1: well the one thing i don't want people to do is to like hear me say reddit is being unbundled and then basically look for like go use things like you know mighty networks and platforms and just like basically co-create basically take a facebook group and and just like target it at a group because i think that you can try that but you know 99.999 percent of times it's not going to work um cookie like what i'm talking about is i'm talking about how do you create that bespoke coffee shop feeling not the starbucks feeling and the starbucks feeling is what you're going to get from basically products that are just reusable. And um, unless it's, you know, you customize it in such a way that like, it feels bespoke. But, you know, I think that really, in order to really serve a community. um, And by the way, I think the word serve is a really interesting one, versus create a community, because the communities already exist, whether you like it or not. But yeah. you're just, you're, just design, you're there to serve that, that that's what you're there to do you're 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 there to bring people together and serve so once you've um once you've built that community together and you're able to serve them i think the question is you know it's less you know i i always say like start with the community and then build the software don't start with the software and then build the community i think that's like a common mistake a lot of folks make um and i think you know if you're listening to this You know, one of the things I would think about is how can, you know, how can you be 100% sure that an insert subreddit here or insert Facebook group here, insert vertical here, that um, this is a product feature. Now, it might be a feature, it might be a network, it might be a marketplace, it might be a social network, it might be who knows, but whatever that is, is that it's a burning need for that community.
0: I think that that distinction between starting with a community versus starting with the software is really, really important. So yeah. I recently tweeted this market map that showed, I think, like 130 plus different new community platform tools, that yeah. most of which were started in the last couple of years, which um, have a value proposition similar to what you were describing, which is like, I have this reddit subgroup or facebook group and i just want to put it in a separate place um, and migrate all my users over there or like i have a community that i run offline and i just want to put them all in a digital product so they started with a software platform and then like try to get their communities to come over um so in your opinion is that i guess what you're saying is that that is probably going to be less successful of a strategy than starting with the community really deeply understanding their needs and building a software product that aligns very deeply with them.
1: 100%. I mean, I think the people that go and create these cookie cookie cutter communities are gonna, they're just gonna lose. It's not gonna work. Um, I think the other distinction I would make is um, before you even start with a community, you're actually starting with an audience. And then the question is, how do you convert an audience to a community? And that's a Mm -hmm. really important distinction when you're designing, when you're you're trying to build a product. Because, and, and, you know, because community has become so hot over the last, you know, the topic, like over the last year, let's say, um, what I've noticed is that people just replace the word audience with community. um, And it, it actually is, you know, like, I love that people are talking about community more, but it kind of pisses me off a little bit because it's, it, they're two different things. Like an audience is just like, you can have an audience, um, you know, if it, if you can think about it as like a storefront. You just have like people walking by, um, yeah. but that's not a real community. That's not like a community is like, you know, a shared language that you have with someone.
2: Yeah. I think a lot of yeah. like executives use community as a euphemism for like target market. It just sounds like nicer. Well, I think <laughs> or, what like, they actually mean is like
0: Instagram followers. Like the number of G2C companies that came to pitch that were like, we have this huge engaged community when they actually meant Instagram followers is like tremendous. I think I that distinction between audience and community is so key. Um, And I tried to break this down once in a post of mine where I said, I think the hallmarks of a real community are like intentionality, like people are seeking you out as a destination, not just consuming content from the community in a feed full of other things. Um, I think there needs to be like peer-to-peer interaction going on, not just brand or single creator to all of their followers. Like there needs to be real engagement happening between members of a community. And then um, I think another aspect of it that I highlighted was UGC, like, are the users and members of the community empowered to actually create content that other people would see? And I think that Instagram, the way that the product is designed is, it's not really facilitating community because there's this hierarchy between the brand or the individual's content versus all of their followers' content. Um, so I agree, like people overuse the term community when they just mean customers or followers.
1: Yeah. And Instagram isn't designed to foster community. That's why like, I remember, I think it's like, what, three years ago now where Facebook changed their mission statement to make them, you know, from to make the world a more open and connected place to, to enable community or something like that.
0: Meaningful communities. Meaningful yeah.
1: communities. I mean, we can break that down, but like I'm, just, you know, I feel like I'm an expert in community. I still don't know what that means. Um, I don't know how, you know, for me, a mission statement is really important because it's the guiding principle and guiding light as to how to develop your company at every single level. And I could say, I mean, I I'd, I'd love you know to hear from people from Facebook, but. I can honestly say that, like, when I look at the features that they sh- they're they shif- shifting, shipping, sorry, that it doesn't feel like it's um, with the guiding light of enabling meaningful communities at all. Mm-hmm. Can you go deeper? Like, what's the,
2: what have they shipped that feels like kind of contra the mission?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the one feature that I saw Facebook Inc. launch today was, a feature called staying at home. Did you guys see this? No. Okay. So basically um, my friend Danny Trin actually tweeted about it. Um, I'll pull it up here on his Twitter. Um, But basically he works at a company called Zenly. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I don't know if you can see my screen, but Zenly is a location app that can track your friends and over here it says you've been at home for a certain amount of time so you can see how long your friends have been at home and then what with, with uh instagram launched today is this little thing where it says staying at home
2: yeah yeah is the idea just to like use sort of group like peer pressure to be like don't invite me to stuff like you should stay at home too because like coronavirus and all that stuff
1: i think i mean i think maybe um, but I don't know if it enables meaningful communities. <laughs> um, you know, I think I, I you know, that's, I, I, when I look at, uh, some of the companies I really look up to, like, for example, Nike, I think Nike, their mission statement is something to like to enable movement or something like that. And it's like, could you look at Nike and look at all the products and be like, are they enabling move, movement by like creating this running shoe? Like, probably. Um, I don't see that same consistency with Facebook.
0: Greg, I have a question about community, which Greg. is what do you think is the appropriate monetization model for a community? Like this has been a complaint that I've heard from so many large Facebook group admins or Reddit admins um, who, who do it as like really a labor of love to oversee their, their group that they've made over the years. And I've heard that they spend maybe 40 hours a week, moderating posts, trying to connect people to each other. And there's just no good monetization path for how to make that sustainable. Um, What are examples that you've seen of successful monetization strategies for communities?
1: So firstly, I don't think community owners have enough options to monetize their communities. Like, I just don't think that we've done enough iterations as founders and and entrepreneurs to come up with, you know, interesting concepts around enabling the community organizer. Um, That's number one. Number two, I think that um, community organizers fundamentally should have that ability. Even if the thing thing with community organizers is that 80% of them are probably doing it 100% out of labor of love. Like, they don't want to monetize but the thing is the you know communities are businesses um, in a lot of sense in a lot of ways um and it needs to be sustainable like how do you create a sustainable community and i think that's the problem with a lot of communities so you know some of the more you know i guess popular examples of like how do you monetize communities i mean we all have Substacks. we all put paywalls in front of our content or actually i don't and um but you know, I might in the future. Um, and I think that's a really obviously interesting way. Um, but that's literally one way. Um, you can
2: have live zooms. I hear some people do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can do live zooms. Um, and that's a really cool way. Um, I think what I like about live zooms over just like straight up, like newsletter content, um, is it's like, think about this. We're going to have, you know, 30 minutes of like just chatting and then 30 minutes of like bringing in our community and, and talking with them, like, which is really, really cool, you know? And like going back to the Instagram example, like you can't really do that on Instagram platform, but you know, how do you enable us to um, not only uh, monetize our community, but engage other communities? Um, so I'd love to see more things in live video. I'd love to see more things in commerce. Um, you know how do we enable people, uh, community organizers, to, you know, create um, their merch lines? One of the things that worked really well at Islands, which was a social network for college students, is we created, like, we basically worked with the, the creative director who did like Bieber's clothes and the Weekends clothes and Skrillex's clothes, and we created this really, um, really cool merch line that really spoke to our audience and spoke to our communities. Um, and they loved it. They absolutely loved it. We put up sweaters for sale to college students for $120 US and they were buying it. Like, like I was, we were like, oh, we couldn't believe it. It was, it was crazy, but that's what a membership of a community is. So how do you, how do you like, you know, for Lee, let's say like Lee, like maybe someone does want to buy merch from you. Maybe once someone wants a a cop. I mean, I'd buy a coffee mug with a quote by you, Lynn, if it, it you know it said something that around communities around it or the passion economy. And I'm sure there's others <laughs> who would too. Um,
0: yeah, put a put a comment in the chat if you want to buy my line of merchandise.
1: We need we need mugs with like you know
2: that'd be perfect talk show accessories,
1: right? And it's like okay, you guys, we're just jamming here. I would love one of my favorite things to do is just jamming ideas. Um, but I think like, you know, you guys both have virtual backgrounds now, like why can't Greg Eisenberg sponsor your backgrounds? Fair.
0: Super interesting. Yeah. Um, no, I'm starring on this television show next month called Zoom Bachelor as a contestant. And I was trying to find a brand sponsor for my Zoom background, actually. So if anyone wants to sponsor my zoom background and be made available to viewers nationwide worldwide really for three hours hit me up Um, i think this is this is super interesting i think one of the methods of monetizing community that i feel like has worked less well um, is just charging straight up for membership into the community itself like putting up a paywall gate to even accessing the community in the first place And I I think the reason why that works less well is because people want to know what they're paying for and what they're getting into and get value from the community before committing to paying for something. And I like the options that you suggested more of merch, content, events, because they feel like even deeper ways to engage with the community um, and access to more exclusive content um, beyond just access to the community itself.
1: Here's a good here's a good lens for thinking about is this a good idea for monetization for you know community organizers. If the answer if you create if you monetize your community and the answer is that um if I actually buy this coffee mug, if I actually um you know participate in the Zoom chat, I become more of a member in this community, then that's a really good idea. And that is like a net positive on your community, you know? So I think that's a really important distinction as well is, you know, if you are going to monetize your community, think about ways that it makes it stronger and not weaker and that it's not a leech sort of vibe. It's sort of a giving vibe. Um, because I've also seen people just completely um, hurt their communities from diluting it with um, it just, you know, it feels like Times Square and you don't want that too.
0: Hmm. right like how to align monetization with um with almost an indicator that the user is even more invested and, yeah. and it becomes like a badge of membership into this broader community like a self-identification yep. thing
1: yep absolutely yeah. and like we've only scratched the surface there there's so many opportunities where you can think of you know um i saw someone uh running with a like shirt that said I even wrote it down. It's called um I think it was called like running members cult or something. Um which I thought was interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. That's uh, the kind of shirt you gotta Google when you see somebody wearing that.
1: I was like wait what is it he was running here let me pull it up I wrote it down. Running club member that's what it was. And I thought that was so interesting that, that you know here you have someone who bought he's obviously a runner he was running and he seemed like super fit and like one of those people that just like was really into running, he had all the running gear. So, and so much so that he was wearing a tank top that said running club. Member," And that's like dedication. That's like your super fan. That's your power fan. And like, that's an example of like, he's a part of a community. He wants to show off that he's a part of his community and people want to pay for that. And they, and it's not just like, that's not like you have to convince them to like pull out their credit card. That's like they're waking up early in the morning and they're stoked to do it. And that's really, really, really cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I always say that I think the best consumer brands are the ones that make people feel like they're a member of a community that they would be actually proud to show off their usage of that brand. And it makes them feel like part of an in-group and a sense of belonging more so than just purchasing something. It's um, so f-
2: I wanna- oh, go ahead. oh, go ahead, Nate. Were you going to change the topic? I was. Okay. I just want to say like, it's so funny because like, uh you see someone else wearing like you know the gear of like some other club and you're like that's kind of funny you know and then there's like this other thing that you're a huge fan of and you're like of course like this is my thing like I love it I want everyone to know that like I love this thing and um I think there's a very interesting like how it looks from the outside versus how it feels from the inside dynamic to a lot of communities um that like you know I'm the type that like I I love this like blog slate star codex I'm just like a huge fan of uh, his writing and like yeah, guy would absolutely wear a t-shirt or buy a mug and i don't think he sells any of those things but like <laughs> and people would think i'm kind of weird for doing that but then like you know whatever that's just the way it works it's kind of it's kind of funny how those things happen
1: i mean i agree uh, and i think if there's there's physical goods that you would buy and there's probably virtual stuff that you virtual experiences that you pay for too
2: totally I had the nice virtual experience of getting to tweet in solidarity with Slate Star X, when the New York Times was going to uh, publish that story. So that was a fun.
1: There
2: you go. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's amazing. Anyway,
2: sorry. we can continue. Um,
0: <laughs> so great. I want to do like a quick retrospective on Islands. So for everyone right. in the audience, Islands was like Slack for colleges. I remember your pitch very vividly when you said that. Um, and it was a messaging app for college students where they could create, groups um, based on interests, clubs, class year, et cetera. And you started this company, I think in 2016 or 2017, really in the depths of the consumer winter when no one wanted to start a consumer social company, because like, I think the prevailing opinion at the time was consumer social was over. Um, So I'd love to just get your sort of, thoughts on top lessons learned and what you would do differently today if you were to restart a social app for this demographic.
1: Yeah. I mean, so Islands was a, is an interesting example because I actually feel as if we did a lot of things, right. You know, we understood our community really well. I mean, I literally went to go live basically on college campuses and show our, our, our app to, like, users and, and get feedback. And we built a team that was going from school to school. Um, and we weren't, like, in our, like, high tower in Silicon Valley just, like, building an app for college students. Like, we were there, which was really fun and really cool. And, um, you know, it took us a while to iterate to get to the point where it started to work, but it's, it, it worked. Um, we focused – someone asked which colleges did we hit. We started in the south. Um, the Alabamas, the Mississippis, um, you know, one of the things I, we did learn early on was the prevailing wisdom was uh, if you want to scale a app at college, go to the cool kids, go to the fraternities, go to the um, sororities. That's why we started in, in, in the South because Greek life was a huge percentage of, of, of school life you know so many people were a part of it and we built this app which was a community app basically for college students and they were it helped them figure out like what to do and where to go and you know interest-based discussions and what we found out was turns like fraternities and sororities didn't really connect with it and we started asking ourselves like why like why is it that you know you know, for Tinder, for Bumble, for House Party, all these apps, they would be able to scale in, through Greek life, and we couldn't. And we found out that what Islands was was basically a fraternity or sorority, but for everyone else. So it was like a built-in, like what is a, what is a, you know, a sorority or, or a fraternity? Ultimately, it's a built-in community. It's a physical community. You get to know where the party is. You get to meet friends. You get to be a membership of I'm Sigma Chi, so this is the type of person I am. Um, And it turned out that the most disconnected people, like the LGBTQ community in the South or Muslims in the South who felt disconnected um, and who needed a place to talk and was looking for community, they needed it the most. So if I would redo anything, I think it would be don't accept prevailing wisdom on community because there is no real prevailing wisdom on community. It's a case by case basis. Like what we were talking about in the beginning, you know, I think when you, when you craft, you know, a community strategy, it's bespoke. It's for, you have to understand that particular community extremely well. So that's one thing I, I would, you know, I would do differently. The other thing is like, you know, if you're going to start a venture-backed company, make sure it's in a market that people want to back unless you're making serious revenue. Um, so we knew when we started the company that it was the winter of um, of consumer social. And we were like, we don't care. We're going to create a great product. And it turns out that you can't do that because you're dependent on VCs for money. Um, and uh, you know, we had partner meetings with like pretty much every, almost every top fund in Silicon Valley. No one was willing to give us um, the check size we needed, and that's because um, it's because uh, you know, it, like I said, it was it was well. It, we started in the winter and we ended in the nuclear winter. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was the response basically from venture capitalists like? you know, consumer social is so dominated now by these large social platforms that have such powerful network effects, it's going to be impossible for you to reach any sort of meaningful scale.
1: I think the response was, we, like the prevailing wisdom was that, you know, Instagram was, Facebook was going to copy anything. So it's like, why even do it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think people had the memory, very recent memory of stories being copied by Instagram. And the fact that Snap had gotten to such huge user scale, but wasn't, seemed to be struggling in terms of actually converting that to real revenue. That was very top of mind for everyone.
2: Yeah, that was. Same with Twitter and same with Reddit. It's kind of like, even if you're one of the top successes of all time, it's not always an amazing business. Um, you know, those are great businesses, obviously they're, you know, Twitter's a public company they're doing like, it'd be a great success if you invest in this, in the series A or the seed round of that company, but it's still, it's like, you know, narrative, the narrative ends up sort of dampening the enthusiasm a lot for these kinds of ideas. And so you need like such sort of breathtaking traction to overcome that, um, that, uh, it's just really hard to do.
0: Well, I would say you not only need the user side traction, but I think you need a new business model now that is not wholly dependent on advertising.
2: Well,
1: I, and the other thing for founders to know is, you know, I remember as soon as I raised my seed round, I went to a VC who I won't name, but a top tier VC. And I was like, what are the metrics I need to hit so that you'll give me a term sheet for my series a. And I, I, wrote down the metrics and I showed him on a paper and I said, is it this? These are it. He said, yep. And then we went, we iterated, you know, I had some natty lights on college campuses and we worked really hard and we made it, we made a really, uh, a good, a really great product that people really loved. And, and we exceeded those metrics and I went back to him. I came, flew back. I'm like, okay, so now we're going to raise our series. A. this is awesome. And I show him the paper and I was like, Hey, we're here. Like, let's do this thing. And he was like, Oh, did I say that? No. no, 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 no. No. So how can I be helpful? How can I I be helpful? How can I be helpful?
2: oh man yeah that's that's funny i mean if i were a vc i would never write down on a piece of paper the, you want to you want to retain your option value right of like of the narratives or whatever but that's a funny i mean it's just a, such a great example of how important narratives are to like where capital flows right oh, absolutely and how they can shift over time and how hard it is to predict how you'll feel in the future even though if i hit if they hit that then i'll feel great and it's like oh i still don't why you know
1: yeah well emotions so- govern everything the good news is that capital will and flow to you know passion economy and people building products and enable community in the next few years and i and i don't see it i actually think it's going to be many years it's going to be the renaissance for for these types of products and i you know i love substack i think it's awesome i'm a huge believer at the same time, I think like that's just one example of one product. There's so many different categories. Um, maybe subset gets into them, but I think like prob- more probably there's just going to be a lot of really s- interesting products, and um, it feels good to be on the right side of the table, I guess, this time.
0: Yeah, it's exciting to be a consumer person again, a consumer founder, a consumer investor. That's right. And I right. I agree with you that I think any platform that is helping create a new path to economic empowerment, that is helping people to create things more easily and offer them to an audience that really values it is something that is going to experience a lot of tailwinds in the upcoming decade. Um, yeah. And Substack is you know, one very specific example of that, but like probably not everyone in the world wants to monetize through writing a newsletter There's many other types of skills and talent and knowledge that can be monetized, including the know-how of building and attracting a community. And I think that's one of the skills that will find new business models in the upcoming years. So I'm really excited to see that.
2: Yeah. Cheers to tailwinds. May the narratives ever be in our favor. (laughs) Absolutely. Um,
0: So with that, let's switch over to audience questions. Um, If you have questions, please type them in the Q&A. There's a really interesting one that I wanna start off with, which is asked by an anonymous attendee. Um, So thank you, anonymous. Um, And this person asks, what drives your interest in communities long-term? What do strong communities unlock for society that makes them a need to have that you're driving towards?
1: So, my belief, so this isn't something that like I just decided to pick up because I I read a Substack post and I'm like I'm all in on community, you know, like this is something I've been doing my entire life. This is core to who I am as an individual. Um I believe that when like like-minded people come together, it unlocks crazy potential. I think that community is a fundamental it's in our DNA when, when we, when we feel in our communities and it's a positive experience, um, there's nothing like it. And, you know, maybe it's a different type of feeling than dopamine. It's like a different, it's like the dopamine for community. I don't know what the name of that chemical is, but you just, you know, you feel loved, you feel really loved. And I think, um, you know, many people are lonely and it's a terrible thing and i think it um i think it stresses people out i think it um potentially kills people actually um and i think uh it's it's an amazing space to be in to be able to um create digital products to bring people together virtually um and enable people who want to do this for a living um or not even as a living to to monetize i think it's it's amazing so i hope to continue working on this for the rest of my life
0: yeah i i totally agree with that i i often tell people that part of the reason why i love being a consumer investor is that we are solving for fundamental human needs like the products and the specific solutions that people are building change over time, but fundamentally there's not that many consumer needs that everyone in the world is experiencing. Like there's the desire to feel connectivity to other people, to feel part of a group, um, to feel affirmed and a sense of belonging and love. Um, There's the desire to make money to fulfill one's physiological needs. the ability to be entertained and to pass time in an enjoyable way. And I think all great consumer products solve one of those core fundamental needs really, really well, better than anything that has come before. Um, But I think community for sure is one of those fundamental human desires.
2: Totally. Should do the next question. Yes. So there's a couple that I think are very related. So I'm just going to group them um sorry asks what are some examples of communities with an indie coffee shop vibe sorin asks what are some examples of unique interactions or communication methods that fit perfectly for a given community i think maybe those two have some overlap in the answer and then sam asks uh, he basically is asking for social experiences that are uh like addicting and unique so it's kind of like how do you actually um like create sort of like structural elements inside communities that create value for people. And then with a potential specific version of like, how does that work with like the sort of coffee indie coffee house vibe?
1: Cool. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give a, a few examples. I'm just going through my phone here to see what I've been playing with recently. Um, all right, let's open it up. Okay. So this is an old one, but I think is 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 still super relevant for a particular niche. Um Hodinkee do you guys know Hodinkee yeah. watches right um, community watches high-end watches um, great example so Hodinkee like there was no real community or place where people who liked vintage watches um, could come together I know that sounds like super bougie but like those people need places too um,
2: <laughs> nothing, wrong and, <laughs> nothing wrong with
1: that nothing wrong with that so um Hodinki basically creates great content around vintage watches. It creates a shop that people could a marketplace basically where people can buy and sell. Um, there's some community features around it. And um it has like little, little, little things like in the app, um, there's a clock, you know, and if you again like going back to like what we were talking about, like feeling like you're a part of the community, um, I think Hodinki does that super, super well. And it's pretty awesome that they're also able to monetize like crazy because some of these watches are thousands of dollars um, and, you know, they're able to enable their community to buy and sell um, really easily, um, similar to like a goat or an app like that. So I like, I like Hidenki, Um and they also opened up stores, pop-up stores like in New York and stuff like that. I think that's really cool. Um Dinky, Uh, I'll just do a couple more quickly. Stadium Live is is a good one. Stadium Live is basically um, kind of a, how do I explain it? It's kind of like um, ESPN for Gen Z. Um, Hmm. And it's a, you basically get assigned an avatar um, and you get thrown into this group chat um, around a sports game. And, you know, when it comes to memberships and communities, like, You know being uh, a Raiders fan or 49ers fans like we we have allegiances to these sports communities so I think a way that uh, they just have a really fresh spin on um, around community and around their particular audience that I really like.
0: Awesome Um, there's a question about uh, something that you mentioned earlier in this conversation which I actually had a question about too Um, It relates to unbundling. And can you elaborate more on what you were saying about the opportunity to unbundle McKinsey and Vanguard?
1: Sure. Um, I was just thinking about that uh, the last 24 hours. It's like a new sort of thought. Uh, McKinsey is a massive business. I don't have the market cap in front of me, but I mean, what do we think? How big do we think McKinsey is? Uh,
2: At least a billion
1: dollars. It's at least a billion dollars, (laughs) right?
2: That was was a little investment. I think, yeah, I don't know, like maybe a hundred.
1: It's a lot. You know, listen, if you're the founder of McKinsey, you can spend a lot of time on a Hendinkee and buy some watches. Let's put it that way. So McKinsey, the process, I don't know if anyone here has worked in McKinsey, but if you have, you know the process and you know how it's, um, you know, you have a consulting project um you uh, pay them you know anywhere from 300 to three thousand dollars per hour um, for these consultants to come up with solutions to some sort of business problem that you have. What ends up happening unless you're Coca-cola or you know some of these big comp- you know massive fortune 50 companies, you end up just getting like an MBA, intern a lot of the time or MBA, you know, new, new grad who, um, obviously, you know, gets paired with someone senior, but, you know, I think it's all that to say is I don't think you get that you're the best possible worker. I think there's opportunity,
2: right. From like, uh, when he first started his career, very smart. It was his first job though? right?
1: There you go. I mean, they, they attract wonderful and smart people. Um, I just think that there's an opportunity to modernize. I, I've been saying this new thing now. Now there's there's an opportunity to modernize and monetize very well. Um, I think there's an opportunity to basically think about what are all the verticals that McKinsey hits and how you can modernize and digital digitize it um, and monetize it, give some savings back to uh, regular businesses. Yeah. So that's what I thought about um, McKinsey and Vanguard. I mean, Vanguard's already getting unbundled with things like uh, Robinhood. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: You know, buying, you know, Vanguard makes his money by a percent of, like a management fee and creating these ETFs, but with the democratization of essentially finance now, it's free to... um, trade where in the past it has not been free to trade and it's accessible to trade. Um, you have products like Robinhood or public.com that are really good at just um, allowing people to access a lot of these funds and a lot of these, pro- and you know, individual stocks for free and educating them at the same time that I don't know how valuable Vanguard, you know, is. So I think you're going to see a lot of innovation for, from companies like that
2: love it uh next question oscar i love this question basically it's about lock-in it says with the passion economy you're empowering users to build their own community how would you prevent them to go away with that community for example a store in shopify could build their own uh e-commerce platform and then shopify would lose them and as a result their clients
1: what do you think nathan
2: um i think that it's uh it's it's you have to have the right pricing structure so like if you're taking a big like 10% transaction fee on revenue from that community, and like as it gets big, it becomes more and more likely that 10% of the revenue is like more than enough to pay someone to like build a custom solution. And then maybe that custom solution would even be like better for the community's needs than kind of the generic platform's needs. So there's this sort of like growing incentive over time to, to switch. So if you're really going to be a platform, I think you need to provide a lot of flexibility and you need to have the right pricing structure so that people are more incentivized to just stay on the platform and extend it because you've given them the ability to, and you're not like charging a huge amount. At least that's like sort of my experience so far on the creator side of uh, Substack. Um, But there's also this other thing, which is like, maybe you can build such a good network where users are like on it, trying to discover new communities or something like that, but it's really not an option. Like you can't not be on YouTube if you're creating videos on the internet and you want like people to see them. It's very hard to build a community outside YouTube. Um, It's very hard to create uh sort of like following outside twitter in a lot of ways twitter is the top of funnel for a lot of this stuff or like reddit is the top of the funnel for a lot of this stuff um so it's tricky but at the same time i mean uh you know the the thing you're sort of noticing and and thinking will happen a lot more is like maybe people will build specialized stuff to get off reddit right Um, for some of these communities but it's really hard to move a community once it exists it like if people are used to visiting a certain place and that's their routine like if it's an app or in a website or something, very hard to unstick that and like say, Oh no, no, everybody, go to the new URL now. That's or download this new app now. That's very, very hard. You know, with something I like agree. email where people are just used to sort of like seeing you in their inbox, maybe that's a little easier if you can export your email list. Yeah. Here's what y'all think.
0: I saw like there were a few companies in the past few years that tried to break off of large horizontal social platforms and spin out their own products and get all of their community members to move somewhere else as a destination website or app, I don't think any of them have really been successful. Um, because to Nate's point, once a community already exists somewhere and there's really strong network effects and they're engaging with each other on a regular basis, it becomes really hard, unless you just shut the old thing down, to say, okay, everyone, like, let's move over here. And by the way, potentially pay for it.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the way I think about it is like, um, if you're creating a car, a new car company, everyone is going to, like, if you're creating Tesla, let's just say, like, this is 2004, everyone's going to compare you to other car companies. They're going to be like, does it have four wheels? Is it gas? Is it electric? You know, is there a windshield? Where's the trunk? All these things. Oftentimes, when you create something in the same category as something else people do these comparisons um and then the switching they basically it's hard for people to switch to new things basically that's what i'm what i'm getting at so the key is, is how can you create a community that is they can't get anywhere else so that it's it's a completely new thing um, and you could own that mind share and then become the incumbent basically so that's why I think like Tesla was smart because like Tesla got like I know this isn't exactly what you were talking about, but Tesla got um that first mover advantage with electric cars. When people think electric cars, they think Tesla, even though Toyota is probably a bigger or maybe not now with the stock market, but Toyota has like got a lot of electric cars on the on the on the road. So my advice Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no. Just say my advice is like, build a Tesla. Don't, uh, you know. But, or sorry, my advice is don't build a Tesla. Actually, like you want to build like the 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 communities that I look at building when I'm unbundling Reddit is like stuff that doesn't you know doesn't really Mm -hmm. have a home.
0: Right, right. Yeah, when I first saw the title of your blog post, "Guide to Unbundling Reddit," I was like. I disagree with this vehemently because I actually think there's, there's so much on Reddit that could never exist independently. Like like there's so many small niche communities that people like to sample content from on like a very ad hoc basis, very casually that would just never rise to the level of being a standalone independent property. Um, so I think like the benefit of horizontal social platforms and the benefit of bundling is like, there's a lot of casual fans out there for things that just don't have the intensity of affinity to something such that they could make it support itself as a standalone property.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for the vast majority of communities, Reddit is fine mm-hmm. for the community use case but I think for them for that doesn't mean that there's a ton of opportunity to to create bespoke experiences it's just you have to go um and figure out where where are these opportunities and then and then how do you you know that's why I'm fine like someone I was speaking to someone today and they're like why are you telling everyone how to do the thing basically that you're doing you know well don't you want information asymmetry isn't that like what you want and i'm like i don't you know i'm happy to give the process of how how we do it and and like basically open source that um but i think that the key will be um finding the right communities and what is the right product which is not no easy task
0: yeah Well, I think everyone here and on the internet really appreciates your sharing and open sourcing all of your insights around community building and consumer social. Um, We are at time and I want to be respectful of everyone's time. Thank you for sharing part of your Friday morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on where you are with us. Um, And stay tuned for our next episode next Friday, um, guest to be announced and i think greg and both of us are reachable probably on twitter you can find us across the internet um and thanks so much for coming on and joining us greg
1: this was fun guys it's it's an honor to be among you legends Uh (laughs) likewise
2: (laughs)